0: Today's scripture is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Pastor Dave is on vacation with his family uh, out of Tucson, so he's taking a break there, and I am up today. I'm learning that here I can take advantage of the weather and wear short sleeves to preach. (laughs) I was talking to my good friend and college roommate, He's in Maryland, and he called me and said, man, it's hot over here. <laughs> My reaction, exactly. And he said, it's 88. Oh. I don't want to be the one to tell you this, <laughs> but you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm grateful to be with you this morning. Um, by way of announcement, there's a couple things. One thing I would like to bring your attention um, there's a family in our congregation, uh, the Evans family. They usually sit uh, to my left. Uh, they're a nine-month-old, uh, Winter. I had a seizure on Friday morning, and um, she was rushed to the hospital, and there, I've been in communication with them, and she's doing well. They're waiting on an MRI to determine the cause of that seizure because it hadn't happened before. So there, I know on the church channel, there have been lots of you praying for them, uh, praying for winter, so we appreciate that. And also, I want to give a, a thank you to uh, that deacon team here at the church. Christina Harris, where are you? Carly Kamamo, where are you? Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Carly, for organizing meals for that family. Uh, I'll be over there this Sunday uh, today to go see them. Uh, but she, winter, is is coming along well. So please keep her... In here, continued prayers. Um, Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for life. We thank you for just who you are and who you've been throughout our lives and throughout the centuries, throughout time. Heavenly Father, as we sit this morning, I pray that you have just prepared hearts in this room to hear your words. Lord, will you speak through me this morning? Not, no one came to hear from Marcus. They came to hear from you this morning, and I pray that your spirit moves. Thank you, Lord, for the times that was spent this week studying and thinking and praying and hoping the Holy Spirit would move in a mighty way. Lord, we love you, and we praise you. In all these things we said, amen. I always say this, and you know I will say this. James chapter 3 verse 1 warns every preacher, every person that stands behind a pulpit on Sunday morning that not many of us should strive to be teachers because teachers will be judged more harshly. I will stand before God one day and give an account for what I am about to do in the next 30 minutes. If you need a Bible... If you want to follow along as I preach, just slip your hand up. The ushers will be glad to give you one. It is our gift to you. If you need one just for today or you need one um, uh, to read from to follow along, please raise your hand. The ushers will be glad to, to get you one this morning. We're in the book of 1 John. 1 John is written by a man named John who was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. He wrote the book of John, the gospel of John. He wrote the three letters now, one of which we're reading this morning, and he also wrote the, the last book in our Bible, Revelation. John, in this, in this book, in the book of 1 John, has several themes that he's trying to bring to, to bear for the people of God. One of the themes he's bringing to bear is God's love for us. The other theme that he brings out is the God is light. He says, God is light, God is love, right? These words are repeated all over the book of John. Right? He uses the word beloved to describe the people of God. He uses the word children to describe us as people of God. Beloved he used six times throughout this, throughout this book, and he uses children a number of times to describe uh, us. We aren't just called, he says, children of God. He said we are. Human beings, you and I, were not made to live alone. Humans, we yearn for belonging. We yearn for family. So, when God says we are children, he's trying to include us in a family. God made us this way. We have a deep desire for belonging, whether it's to an ethnic group, it's to a nationality, an earthly family, our last name, maybe it's to a team or a fraternity or sorority, company, organization. You can think of different places that we, we pull ourselves in, right, to, to, to be a part of somewhat of a family people who share the same feelings, thoughts, and traits, perhaps. We want to belong. Some of us come from huge families, big communities. Some of us, we have tons of people to call when things go wrong or we're celebrating, but some of us are just the opposite, right? When celebration comes or tough times come along, we are surrounded by folks, but some of us, we don't have people to call. When we grow up in America... In the American Sociological Ladder, when you get past the 12th grade, something happens. You kind of lose friendships. Wait, if you went to college and you graduate from college, something else happens. When you get into the workforce, it's like, where am I going to find community? So, workplaces will say things like, we're family. Mm, some of y'all, <laughs> I hit the nerve, <laughs> right? Some of us, us will say, the workplace meetup groups, we, we, we go to online communities. Where, where people where We try to find people with similar interests to, to, to fill that need. It gets hard, right? Well, where do you find deep friendships? Where do you want to be known and to know people? Where do you want people to know you and to know people? Right? This is why workplaces, like I said, will say, Oh, we're family here. Well, we don't fire family. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is why, if you know this, if you watch TV enough, you know this, you know this jingle, right? Olive Garden says, when you're here, you're family. They're trying to appeal to your deep desire for belonging. A New York Times article recently, there was, there was a series of articles in the last few months in the New York Times talking about church. It's an opinion article talking about why people are leaving church communities. These people we call the nuns, people who don't identify with any kind of uh, uh, religious inkling, right? They say people, they, 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 the, the article was saying that what churches offer People still long for. Professor of sociology, Phil Zuckerman, says this. He says, I can go play soccer on a Sunday morning and hang out with people of different races and different class and backgrounds, and we can bond. But I'm not doing that with my grandparents and with my grandchildren. A soccer team can't provide spiritual solace in the face of death. It probably doesn't have a weekly charitable call, or there is no sense of connection to a heritage that goes back generations. This is an article telling us that people are leaving churches, but they're longing for community. They're longing for what God says. We are family. In the same article, the author stresses that some some in our society feel the pinch of loneliness more than most people. We assume that people who are leaving the church, right, are highly educated or affluent people. They're more educated, et cetera. But... But he said there's a substantial group of Americans who are grappling with sociological pressures on multiple fronts. But those people are further down on the economic ladder and are lonelier than we could imagine. uh, He says Americans with lower levels of education have not found a home in the church. They feel alienated from religious institutions and church community, even if they still believe in God. I remember in the seminary, we had a, we had a, a guy come from, from, from a university in New York City, and this is one of the first things he talked about, and it stuck with me. He said, we can, we can wrestle with, with, with race, but the biggest thing that people don't feel connected in the church, race is there, but it's also class. People don't feel a part of the family if they don't feel a, they're in the same economic class as the people that are worshiping with. Ladies and gentlemen, that should not be. Other religious systems and beliefs acknowledge the the loneliness issues and try to address them. Followers of believers, right? Some religious organizations or or religious beliefs will say people are, 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 are servants, they're adherents, right? Or somebody will say, I practice such and such. But the difference between other religious practices and Christianity that makes us unique is that the God we serve calls us his children, We are loved by God. We are not merely exchanging good behavior for the promise of eternal salvation. Christianity is an invitation to a family, to a loving God, a loving father, and a shepherd. God is unique, and he is personal. So if this God is relational, and if he exists, how do I become a part of the family? how do I become a part of God's family? Verse 1 in chapter 3, he says, John writes, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The family of God, brothers and sisters, is not based on ethnicity. It's not based on nationality. It's not based on geography. It's not based on culture. It's not based on biological family. It is not based on law. It is not based on force, by the way, which some people throughout history have tried, is to conquer lands and force people into Christianity. That does not work. There are certain places in the world, if if you're from certain countries, your nationality and religion are tied together, not Christianity. Your national identity is also your religious identity if you live in other parts of the world, some parts of the world. Not so with Christianity. Throughout histories, some Christians, like I said, have fought wars in order to bring people in relationship with Jesus Christ. That seemed very antithetical, right? You can't bring people to love by fighting. Theocratic societies are fertile grounds for rebellion. The family of God operates from relationship, from word of mouth from reading and preaching and hearing. One Hindu scholar says it this way. He says, I can't understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as a book of religion. It is not a book of religion. And anyway, we have lots of books of religion in India. We don't need any more. I've, he says i find your bible a unique interpretation of universal history the history of the whole of creation and the history of the human race and therefore a unique interpretation of the human race and therefore sorry and therefore a unique interpretation of hum, of the human person as a responsible actor in human history that is unique that is not religion in other words he is saying we downplay the relationship aspect And we preach the Bible as religion. To to become a part of God's family is a response to a calling, it's a decision. To become children of God, we must respond to this calling. God won't just call you children, He said, You are children. God's family is both exclusive and inclusive, exclusive in a sense that we are loved more than we can ever imagine. Nobody said amen, but that's okay. We are loved more than we could ever imagine by the God who created you and everything good around you. He is inclusive in that it is open, it is open to in spite of it is open to you in spite of where you grew up, what nationality you are, what biological family you come from, what language you speak, what sins you have committed, or your lack of Christian generational roots. You can pick up along the way. When I was in seminary, I was completely blown away because half of the students in the seminary were from, were, were of Asian origin. More than half were Korean or Chinese. I had made the faulty assumption that they, uh, Asians have another, they have their own religious structures. Didn't, it didn't occur to me that Jesus speaks to every culture. Some of those people are coming here to be missionaries, including me. Not Asian, I'm African. The family is diverse. There are children of God everywhere. I love this phrase. I was sitting at a foster care meeting a few weeks ago, and they used this phrase, and it brought a tear to my eye. They, they, They said, when a child when a child who's, who's been in a foster care system gets adopted, they use the phrase forever family. They, came, they come into their forever family, adopted, filled with hope and possibilities. When you're brought into the family of God, it is a forever family. Children of God are filled with hope. Like that child who just came out of foster care system and get adopted to a family, it's like, now I have what I, I always wanted. My deepest desire to belong in a family has been solved. What does it mean to be children of God? It means you are beloved. You are beloved. You know God. And more importantly, He knows you. It is a huge family. Billions of people. Here's where the, the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible describes, here's where He gets so unique and so interesting. The Bible says in Isaiah 45 that God calls us by name. Millions of people, he knows your name. In Luke 12, it says, the very hairs on your head are numbered. You couldn't even, or you had to quit your job to number your hairs. That's intimate knowledge of you that a loving God is trying to communicate. It seems impossible to think of a number of people, and God is still intimate with each One. All our doings, all our happenings, he knows. All our plans, all our fears and failures. God is unique, and he calls you and I his children, and he means it. Let me put it this way. Anybody play chess? You play chess? Don't put yourself out there. I used to play, right? On a chess board, there were 32 pieces. Each player has 16, and the rules are pretty strict, right? Possible moves are limited for each piece. Right? But all of the pieces are all interdependent in a sense. Any movement changes the relation. Any movement of a piece changes the relationship on the board. Jonathan, Jonathan Schaefer, who's a researcher and a computer scientist, calculated that there are 197,000 ways for a player's first move to turn out and for the game to come about. He says, by the third move, the possibilities, by the third move on the board, the possibilities increase to 121 million. He says, within 20 moves, it's quite possible that the game that is being played has never been played before. No one knows, he says, the potential of how many games possibly exist. That's just 32 pieces on a board. Now I want you to think of God, knowing the plans of you and you and you and you and you, right? Making it all work out, the claims of God, to call us children. They said, I have a plan and a purpose for each one of you. Either, let me say this, ladies and gentlemen, either God, his claims are false, or he is the true God who created you and knows you. He's either not factual Oh, he is right in his intimacy with you. My question to you this morning is, do you believe that? And if you do, are you fully secure in knowing that God knows you and that you're a part of the family? Are you open to people knowing your business? Like in every family, you know there is friction, right? Let's talk about this right now. Let's just put it out here. When you get into the family... People are going to know your business. A lot of us don't want people to know our business, right? And you get into the family, there is some friction sometimes. (laughs) Anybody from a big family go to a family reunion and stuff like that? All right, thank you, right? You go to these family reunions, people make food, (laughs) right? If you're like me, when the food is laid out, I don't just go there and start picking up stuff. I have questions (laughs) because I want to know who made such and such. (laughs) Who made the greens? Who made that salad? And such and such made that salad, she still got 15 cats living in the house? I'm not touching that. <laughs> right? You start asking questions. It creates friction, but that's okay. In the church as a whole, when you think of how many people you will have friction with, how many theological differences you have with other people, but they're still family, right? The devil wants to bring dissension and division right? Don't let the devil bring that in over some salad, right? I don't have to eat her salad, but I can still sit with her and eat other stuff. What I'm trying to tell you is that within the family of God, there are different shades, there are different perspectives. But We still worship together. We still move together, right? We offer grace to each other, our love for each other, the Bible says, should be unrecognizable to the rest of the world. The way we treat people, the world around us will know us, right? The, the, the verse says, the, word, the world does not know us because they can't understand us. Because our love has to be so radically different. We have to live so different that the world says, what is, what, why are they doing that? Why do people leave their comfortable lives here and go across to different countries to share the gospel? Why do people move into neighborhoods when they could retreat and live quite safe lives? People outside the family will have a hard time knowing us, understanding us, because they don't know the God we serve. They don't know the God we serve is so intimate. Verse one, verse one says, "The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him." The word "know" there in Greek indicates not just head knowledge, but intimate knowledge, is because the world is not intimate with God, and it doesn't understand us. Your God died on a cross so that you can live. That is love. Your God gave his life so that you may live. That is love. In November of 1985, November 12th, 1985 was a Tuesday morning. It was an average morning. I'm in West Africa. My family is good. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, why hasn't anybody woken me up for school? It was still dark outside, but I could hear my brothers talking. Something was going on. and I could hear the national anthem of our country playing on the radio. I'm like, why are we listening to the radio this morning? It's 5 o'clock. It's a school day. So I get up out of bed, you know, and, and I'm 5 or 6. I don't know how old I was. But I walked into my parents' bedroom. And in my parents' bedroom, my mother is sitting on the bed. She has a robe on. She has some rollers in her hair, and she's crying. And and I look over, my father is getting dressed for work, but he has this look in his eye that says something's up. He's putting on, my dad was the assistant director for the Secret Service of the country. He's putting on his his bulletproof vest, and he's putting his his sidearm in, and he's getting his semi-automatic rifle, and he's getting ready to go to work. And I was like, oh, I was just trying to go to second grade. When I walked outside, my brothers were listening. Turns out there was a military coup happening in the country. Somebody's trying to take over the government. My dad has to go. So my dad gets in the car and he, and he jets off. Believe me, that was the longest 12 hours of my childhood, right? It's like, when well, my dad finally comes home that afternoon. He doesn't come home by himself. He comes home with soldiers. And he's sitting on the back porch. And he's taking off all his stuff. It was my job, by the way, to take off my dad's shoes when he came home from work, which was a job I took very seriously because that earned me something, right? So he I took off his shoes, and he starts telling a story about when he went to the White House of Liberia, the executive mansion, how there was fighting going on. There was bullets flying. And he's trying to get into to protect the president. My dad risked his life for someone for a job. When he came home, I was like, you know, or trying to figure this out. And he's like, yeah, I, I, I don't like what's happening but he was prepared to give his life. And my dad had rough edges you could see from a mile away, imperfect. But he was going to risk. He said, he said to us, he said, I'm not, this is not just my job. This is for you guys. Because if the government gets taken over, something happens to me and something happens to you. What I'm trying to say is my dad, as imperfect as he was, as a father, he was still thinking about giving his life. Jesus Christ knows you intimately, controls everything in this world, and he gave. His life. my dad didn't know the hairs on my head, he didn't know where I my plans that I had for life. he couldn't tell you, but he was prepared. Jesus Christ calls us beloved, his children, every tribe and tongue in this in, on this planet, including us, right? The outside world cannot understand that, cannot understand us he says, in verse 2, says this. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. To be like Jesus is not just physical glorified body, but it's also spiritual. It's it's, it's understanding his grace, his love for one another. It's radical love. It's a change. When I first got to this country in 1992 or 1993, there was a commercial on TV. If you're too old, you probably know this. Don't put yourself out there. But Michael Jordan, right? He used to endorse Gatorade. I'm not sure he still does, but he used to sing this song. It was a jingle, right? Be like Mike, like Mike. If I could be like Mike, that is the last time you hear me sing. (laughs) Michael Jordan, kids all around the country were trying to be like Mike. Mike didn't know him. It was because of Gatorade. He's trying to sell some Gatorade. Jesus knows us. He's giving us this hope of a forever family, right? Where is their hope? Where is the hope? Where is the hope? Here is the hope. The hope for a forever community, right? Being like Jesus in every way, we will exchange, ladies and gentlemen. We will exchange. This world for a vastly different one. We will exchange this body for a glorified one. We will exchange our earthly family for a permanent family. We will exchange our burdens for crowns. We will exchange our divisions for a new and better inclusive and exclusive community. Here is the beauty of this. We do not have to sit on our hands and wait for that day. Some Christians feel like once I become a Christian, I can sit and wait to go to heaven. No, sir, read. No, sir, read. No, sir, read. We can start now. It starts here. We can begin purifying ourselves so that we can hope that one day we can be like him. There are glimpses of heaven on this earth that we see every day. There is a separation from those who are called children of God and those who aren't. The hope is that we live differently in preparation for this new life. We shed our need for secondary identities. Pay attention right here. Don't miss this one, right? We need to shed our needs for secondary identities, like nationalities, clubs, political ideologies, affiliations, organization, and embrace the family of God. A new and better family, right? For intimacy with the one true God. We will be like Jesus in every way. Our primary identity here on this earth is that we are children of God. Verse 3 says that, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to understand what he was like. Let me remind you what he was like. He is the son of the father. He is the anointed one. He's the one who heals. He's the one who restores. He's the source of all grace and forgiveness. He possesses ultimate wisdom. He is truth. In him, there is no darkness. He is light. He is truly humble. He fulfills our deepest desires to belong. If we're going to be like him, we have to have grace like him. We have to forgive like him. We have to be humble like him, right? Right? It's getting hot in here. I know somebody's going to say something. It's getting hot up in here. I know, right? This is the hope. This is the hope that I go home with today. This is the hope that I will wake up with tomorrow is that we can cling to this, that we will be like him and someday. Our God-given natural desire to be in community and to have a clear identity will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We will be pure as he is pure. We will be like him in every way. We will be in community and we will be lacking nothing in eternity. A child of God, our first and ultimate identity is not who we are racially. It's not whether we are rich or poor or somewhere in between. It is that we are, child, we are children of God and we belong to him and we are in this family. If we realize that truth, if we realize the truth of our own adoption into a new family, we will always marvel at the idea and the promise of that, that any human being can be called a child of God should astound us. God is our father. Welcome to your forever family. You have been adopted and you are loved more than you can ever imagine. Would you bow your heads? Thank you, gracious Father, for being our Father. Lord, we thank you for knowing each of us intimately and personally and for loving us despite our sin for loving of, despite our best efforts, to be holy. God, we thank you. Lord, if there's one person in this room today that said, you know what, I want to feel, I want to be a part of God's family, would you tug on our heart this morning and make it happen? Lord, we are grateful to be able to worship you and be a part of a forever family. We honor you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.